they still talked about how they feel that. They got that from their parents. They got that mm-hmm. through school. We have to remember that some of these themes, most of these things we have in our stories from our lives, really do resonate because we're all human. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you will hear a fascinating conversation I had with internationally renowned speaker Rich Hopkins. Rich understands the universality of story, even as that universality unfolds in the particulars of the events a specific character lives out. And is Rich ever a character? Prepare to be moved by the story of how he learned to give something up and win anyway. Welcome to The Power of Story and Science, a bi-weekly program hosted by me, your host, David Odie. It's a mixture of content and conversations, and today's episode is going to be a conversation. I'm having a conversation today with Rich Hopkins. Rich is a, an accomplished speaker and storyteller. I have known Rich for some time through Toastmasters, and hey, we may as well put in a plug for Toastmasters, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Rich, how many times have you been on the big stage at the finals of the World Championship of Public Speaking? At the finals twice, including finals a twice. second runner-up appearance in 2006, so third in the world. Third in the world. Very impressive. Very impressive. That's further than I've gotten by a stage a couple of times. Um, and you have recently done something else that's rather noteworthy in Toastmasters circles, and I'll let you decide if you want to talk about that. We're just going to open a conversation here and talk about the power, the importance of story to any speaker, regardless of the nature of the topic, even though, as you know, the theme of my podcast is primarily how scientists and engineers and people who give technical presentations can make their presentations more interesting, more memorable, and connect with their audience using story. And yet story is such a powerful tool, regardless of whether your topic is technical or not. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, we've been learning with stories for generations upon generations. So knowing how to tell a story, being aware of the stories in your life so that when you share the content you have, if you're able to embed it within a story, it's going to be a lot more effective, a lot more interesting and entertaining. Mm, being aware of the stories. I bet you have a big collection of stories. I do. Well, I'm old, so I've lived a <laughs> long <laughs> life. <laughs> One of the things I tell my clients to do when I start working with them on their speech, uh, particularly when they're not exactly sure what they're going to talk about, is I have them go back in their life and do a biography. Mm. I have them start as early as possible. What is your earliest memory? And then take themselves year by year. What are some of the significant events you can remember? And then as you jot those down, what stories can you remember? What details can you manage to mine out of your brain, out of those years and years ago, 
that you can then use in a speech because we learn things every year. We have different events happen to us every year, mm-hmm. but until we remember them and write them down, we sometimes forget how applicable they could be to what it is we want to talk about. That's right. Do you keep a story file? Oh, absolutely. And story files, especially now, uh, when I say now, I mean, back in the beginning, you write everything down, put them on note cards. Mm-hmm. Now it's all email. You do, you can just email yourself and save it on your email account, or you can create a file on your computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, back it up, whatever you do, back, back it, it up. up. That's right. <laughs> but there's, right. there's so many ways to, to cross check them. And you know, one of the nice things I find with stories is sometimes they can be applicable to different points. Mm -hmm. You might have a different point depending on what it is you're talking about or who it is you're talking to on any given day. So using a way to cross-check them is is good as well. Keywords, keywords. Keywords. Can you give me an example of a story that you've used to make uh, two distinctly different points? Well, there's a time in my life where I used to ride my bike to go to the convenience store Mm -hmm. Uh, every week. I'd get my allowance, and I would have to ride down Dead Man's Hill, which dipped way down and then went way up. (laughs) And I was never able to get up the other side. I could always go down to get about halfway up, and then I'd get stuck. Mm. Well, the story basically results in me doing my very best to finally get up the other side. But I go so fast going down in the first place, I hit a pebble just the wrong way and flip over my handlebars into rose bushes. Oh. And so that story can lend lend itself to a couple of different things. If I just want to talk about persistence, Mm -hmm. I can talk about that story. If I want to talk about what's important to me, I take that story a little bit further, which is when I was dragged out of the rose bushes, the first thing I said was, where's my candy? Because I had just come <laughs> back from the convenience store. Back. <laughs> and then another point is about how perspective is important, because years later, decades later, when I went back to that hill, <laughs> I was driving a large truck. And that hill seemed like nothing. <laughs> the so hill had gotten smaller. Perspective. It was all right. the erosion that had taken place in the meantime, I'm sure. No doubt. Smaller. <laughs> well, here's a line you can use next time you tell that story. There's no road rash like rose rash. There you go. I like <laughs> it. I like it. Um, in, uh, in my book on storytelling, I tell the story of when I was a disc jockey, when I was about 20 years old. And because of the promotion that my radio station was doing with a circus that was traveling through town, one of the few circuses that still traveled with a big top, I got to go be a clown in the circus for one day. And I didn't know anything except go show up and introduce yourself to the head clown. So I was put in makeup and a wig and a costume and told, go in with these guys during the opening spec. That's the opening spectacular. That was the only part of the show I was actually in. But they marched me all around and took me into the center ring and then played this little joke on me that ended up with me falling literally flat on my face in the center ring of this circus in front of 2,000 people. So as I was compiling a story file some years ago, I did the following exercise, and you've probably done something like this too. I just sat down with the phrase, once upon a time, I, 
and thought, what, what came to mind? And I wrote down, once upon a time, I was a clown in a circus. And I didn't use that story for the longest time because I couldn't really see any point in it. It was somewhat amusing. But then with age and maturity, I came to realize that I was a shallow young man, very concerned with appearances. And what I wanted more than anything else was not to embarrass myself in front of 2,000 people. And I ended up going in, not having a clue what, I was, what was expected of me, and literally falling on my face, which was the punchline of the joke. It's what the other two clowns I was with had set up. But it was something I was unprepared for and therefore more embarrassed by than able to find humorous. And so what I had to find that made that story worth telling was the desire. I had this strong desire, get in, get out, don't make a fool of yourself. And it collided <laughs> spectacularly <laughs> with the events that happened in the center ring of that circus. Right. And so since then, I've learned from people you and I know through Toastmasters, like Darren LaCroix and Craig Valentine, about story models and about the importance of a desire running into an obstacle. Are there particular models that you use when you're thinking about how to structure a story? Honestly, no. I'm much more a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. <laughs> I think back, I look at life, I see what's out there, and I manipulate the story in the best way possible for the speech that I'm giving. Without taking the truth out of it, mm -hmm. I use the heart of the story, the meaning of the story. Uh, sometimes the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Mm -hmm. But uh, the story serves me as opposed to me serving the story, I guess. Mm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. See, that's the difference. You're, you're, you're analytical. I am. And I'm, and I'm more emotionally based. That's a good point. That's a good point. I am an analytical. I've got to think it through. I've got to think, you know, how is the story going to work? How do I uh, set up a, a tension, a conflict? How can I escalate the conflict? How can I bring someone in who's going to provide the resolution to the conflict? I have to break down the pieces and look at it that way. I have to kind of deconstruct a story before I can really use it. What, uh, what kind of experiences with stories have you uncovered recently as you've been doing this round-the-world tour of Toastmasters? I'd like you to tell me a little bit about that. Uh, Toastmasters, like you said, it's a worldwide organization. Mm -hmm. 120 different districts as of March, which is when I decided on a lark, you know, hey, we're all quarantined at home, got nothing better to do mm -hmm. than use Zoom like we're using now to see if I could visit clubs all over the world. And I thought, hey, what if I could speak or evaluate, give commentary on somebody else's speech mm -hmm. in a club in every district around the world? That and so I just thought, let's go for it. I put out some Facebook videos and let people know that this is what I wanted to do and waited to get invitations. It took three and a half months, but last week I finally got through the 120. Then Toastmasters came about and split four of the districts into eight. So I've got four more to go. Okay. I've spoken in two of those four so far, but I'll have all 124 done by the beginning of August. And the key that wow. I found, because in most of these, I'm using the same speech. Okay. Uh, a five to seven minute story mm -hmm. about playing chess with my daughter and chess with my dad, the spirit mm -hmm. of competition. 
Mm. And one of the things we as speakers forget is that every audience is brand new. That's they right. haven't heard your story. So you have right. to go at it with the same energy. And then in Toastmasters, you're always getting feedback. And so I've gotten rapid feedback, and I've been able to transform the story in the three months. Because okay. I'm always hearing different things, both from my audience, my evaluators, and from myself mm-hmm. as I go through the story and think, that didn't work as well as I would have liked, or what if I tried this? Mm-hmm. And once you tell the story, you you suddenly have so many more ideas of what you did well or didn't do well that you're able to do it again and keep it fresh if you're able to keep that mindset. That's right. Yeah, that's the challenge is keeping it fresh because everyone who hears your story, as you say, is hearing it for the first time, and yet you're hearing yourself tell it for the hundredth time. So and they never they never know what you were supposed to say. People forget no, that all the time. That's right. That's what is great about stories because mm-hmm. we want to make points that are based in fact, and you know we have statistics, we have quotes, and those all have to be perfect. But our stories that belong to us, or even third-party stories that we have read or discovered, they don't know exactly how we want to tell them. And so if we don't tell them perfectly, they don't care. It's not Shakespeare. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so you've been speaking to Toastmasters clubs all around the world. Yes, all around the world. They've had culturally extremely diverse audiences. Absolutely. I've been to India and Korea and Japan and China and France. I've been to uh, Saudi Arabia, who's in Brazil and Kenya, both earlier this week. My, the key is, the your nice arms thing must be is, really tired. <laughs> yes, yes. If only I got the air miles. The thing is, they're all Toastmasters. And so even though they're all different cultures, they all have the same goal. They all want to become better speakers. Right. And so Toastmasters helps them all because they use the same program. I haven't found myself out of place anywhere. Okay. Okay, you haven't found yourself out of place. But what about the stories? Do they resonate differently with different cultures? I was worried about that, especially with the story about competition. Yeah. Because I talk about how we're born in a very competitive world. Well, mm-hmm. in America, that's absolutely true. That's in true. other countries, the individualistic culture that we have, that's just not true everywhere. Except that it was truer everywhere else than I thought it would be. Really? You know, places like China and India and Australia, mm-hmm. places that I thought that maybe competition wouldn't be as vital individually. They still talked about how they feel that. They got that from their parents. They got that mm-hmm. through school. So we we have to remember that some of these themes, most of these things we have in our stories from our lives, really do resonate because we're all human. And when we stereotype other countries and other cultures thinking they're not like us, we forget they may be a lot more like us or we like them than we have assumed. And we realized. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'd really like to go deeper into that topic of universality of experience. You know, when we tell stories, the events in a story are unique to us, and yet the power of story often lies in the universality of that experience that other people can relate to. And that's where I was kind of wondering 
what your experience was with, with all these different cultures. So we'll take a short break. I'm David Odie with my guest, Rich Hopkins, on The Power of Story and Science, and we'll be right back. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. And we're back. Welcome back to The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ote, and I'm pleased to have as my guest today, Rich Hopkins, whom I have known for some years through Toastmasters. He is an accomplished speaker. He's done the round-the-world tour in the last three and a half months of virtually every Toastmasters district in the world. It is an international organization. You said there were, when you started this effort in March, there were 120 districts. Now, because of some realignment, there's 124. And as of the time we're recording this, you're only missing two, and you've got those scheduled. Absolutely. That's correct. Wow. That's fascinating. Are you aware of other people who have accomplished that? Was this just something you, you, your mountain you set out to climb? I would assume our CEO, Dan Rex, has spoken in every district, but I have not uh, tried to be the first or the only. I've just tried to do it and inspire other people to get out there on Zoom and go out and find other clubs to speak at as well. I know we've had at least one person who's visited all 50 states in the United okay. States. And other people who have tried to hit all the continents, with mm. the exception of Antarctica. So, okay, I'm, people are being inspired, or so I've been told. And so it has inspired you in some way, I'm sure. What's the best thing you've gotten out of speaking to 122 different Toastmasters districts? Just that feeling of community of universality, 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 universality. Yeah. <laughs> that people around the world are much more similar than we are dissimilar. Mm, we similar than we are dissimilar. I just want to underscore that statement. Powerful. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're so inundated with the news and with dogma pitting one group against another group, but we all can have the same desires, the same goals, uh, the same places that we want to go in life. And Toastmasters is one of those places uh, that brings people together in a way where everything else kind of falls by the wayside because we're all there to become better speakers, better leaders. And we're able to, to share in that and put everything else aside. So you're finding a universality in that, which 
I think is an interesting parallel to what we were talking about just before the break, the universality of story. The most powerful stories, I think, are the ones where we can see something in our own lives in the particular events that the storyteller is is revealing to us in their life. I mean, you have things that go on in your life that are quite different from mine, and yet we can resonate with these with the power of story. Well, that is because our circumstances can be unique, but our feelings are pretty basic. You know, we, we all can get angry. We all can be happy. We all can have desire. We all can have a, a feeling of accomplishment. It's just a matter of what circumstances you're having these feelings within. That's what makes stories so important. It's because what you feel is not unique, but the circumstances in which you felt it and went through transformation from one feeling to another, those circumstances are going to be unique to you. And even if they are somewhat similar, you're getting a promotion at work. Well, a Mm -hmm. lot of people have gotten promotions at work, but they weren't you, and it wasn't at your workplace with the people you were involved with under those specific circumstances. So when you're able to get into your story, you are able to make what you're talking about interesting to the people you're speaking to because it's different from what they've heard before, but then it still connects with them because the basic motions that are connected to the story Mm -hmm. are still universal. So there has to be, for a story to capture and hold someone's attention, there's got to be something novel to it. There's some element of the specifics of those events taking place in that setting with those people that the listener has never heard before in order for their interest to be captured. And yet at the same time, even though those specifics are unique to that story and that teller, there's something universal in it as well. That, and as I, as I think you rightly point out, it's the emotions. There's only so many different things we can feel in response to a story. And, you know, the fascinating thing to me is the research that shows that when you experience a story, when you're experiencing something vicariously through someone else's telling of it, the same areas of your brain light up as if you were in that story experiencing those things yourself. Right. Right. And the ways to make those stories interesting, uh, so many of them are in the book that you wrote uh, in talking about details, mm-hmm. uh, finding unique ways to tell the story, unique devices to use. Uh, one of my favorites is humor. I'm big mm-hmm. on finding the humor within your stories mm-hmm. because humor is it's not as universal as storytelling. You can have some humor that doesn't hit with all audiences, okay. which means you have to do some research. But basic humor devices are going to work with pretty much anybody. And when you get your audience to laugh, they're going to connect that much more to you. They suddenly become more open for the points that you're trying to make. Plus, they're going to remember a funny story. And when they remember the funny story, they're going to remember the point that went along with the story. Mm -hmm. So you found that your stories worked pretty well, even with all these different cultures you were speaking to, did you have to be more cautious with the humor that you were working into the stories or uncovering in the stories? 
Well, since I've been in Toastmasters for 21 years, all of my humor is pretty tame. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not Safe. some stand-up right. where I'm, I'm out there uh, doing cultural risque humor mm-hmm. or political humor. No. So it's all it's all very safe. Uh, where where I would worry about running into any issues were if I suddenly went off on a tangent and brought up something political mm-hmm. or you know just something that, and that's why you rehearse so that you don't go off on those tangents. Right. You you know what it is you want to say so you don't get distracted because that's where you can get yourself into trouble with humor and with storytelling. That's right. That's right. You could definitely could. Um, so what are some of the types of humor that you think work pretty broadly? Self-deprecating humor works okay. pretty well. Okay. And that's when you're using yourself essentially as the butt of a joke or putting yourself down, but you're, you're on a line. You don't want to lose credibility when you do it. So you don't put yourself down within the definition of what it is you're talking about. If you, if you position mm. yourself as an expert, you okay. then don't talk about how you don't know about something. Now you might talk about how right. you didn't know something 20 didn't. years ago, no. right? but now you know. So you can be the butt of a joke 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but not yesterday. Mm-hmm. So self-deprecation is big. Uh, Freud is big, like it or not. Uh, we laugh when bad things happen to people. <laughs> now, hopefully those bad things are also happening to us or they're happening in a very generic sense. We aren't pointing somebody specific out. It mm-hmm. may be something that we remember from school. We don't name a name. We talk about our math teacher. Mm-hmm. And that way we are bringing up situations and not individuals. So being able to laugh when, you know, somebody trips and falls and hurts themselves goes all the way back to uh, the Three Stooges. Uh, well, I'm sure it goes back several uh, millennia before Generations that. Generations <laughs> before that. You think Socrates laughed when his students fell down the Greek steps? I imagine so. <laughs> that, that could be. I've not studied much from that from that time period, but I would imagine that our our response to things that that startle us is is pretty much the same. I mean, you see someone fall down the steps and there's a moment when you're thinking, oh no, is that person hurt? And then when you see them get up at the bottom of the steps and act like, I planned that, then you laugh. And I bet we've been doing that since, you know, at least Socrates' time. Right. Well, and that's the very formula. Tragedy plus time plus equals time. humor. Yes. Sometimes the time is shorter than others. I wonder how long it'll be before we're laughing about this time that we're living in now. (laughs) Well, thanks to social media, there seems to be no limit of time because people have been laughing about it since the very beginning. Well, that's true. Whether they've been appropriately laughing at it, that's (laughs) a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It is a whole other podcast. Um, Is there a a story you're you're, uh, dying to share with us to wrap up? Well, one of the stories that I probably don't tell enough. And I'll I'll tell this because it's important that we tell our own story. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we get a little bit hesitant to tell our own story. Mm -hmm. And for me, it revolves around 
the disability I was born with, the fact that I was never able to walk right, that it took 10 operations before I was 10 years old to be able to walk reliably at all, and I still Mm. walked with a limp, and that my doctor told me that by the time I was 40, I was going to be in a wheelchair. Oh, I, of course, ignored my doctor because I'm immortal and invincible (laughs) and got outside sales jobs and played basketball and pretty much worked what little I had left in my left leg to death until Mm. I got up one morning and couldn't walk anymore. Oh. So I talk about that situation and dealing with not being able to walk and having to go to a doctor and finding out that the best option for me was to let go of the leg that I had worked hard in my mind to keep, even if I didn't follow Mm. doctor's orders. And of course, your own body part is incredibly valuable to you. I would think so. But it was holding me back. Mm. And I had to let it go. I had to be willing to let it go in order to win. And so it moves into a couple of different places. I talk about upgrading to a super deluxe robot leg. (laughs) I talk about the fact that sometimes you need to lose in order to win. Mm. And that can be important even in a corporate sense in terms of maybe we need to lose this employee or this department or this initiative. Or this product line. This product line. And it also underscores everything I talk about, which is the whole win anyway approach. You Mm -hmm. don't know how you're going to win, and you may not win the way you thought you were going to win, but you can win anyway if you're willing to look at your event, the events that are going on with a certain perspective and be willing to either continue going forward, knowing new things about what you're doing or being willing to change the goal. There are a lot of different aspects, but it all started in that story, that part mm-hmm. of my life. And I, I've gotten away from telling that story. And it's something that I'm, you know, after this podcast, you've, you've made me think. I really <laughs> need to share that story more and more often. It seems to me that as you're describing, and I've heard you talk about some of those events before, as you describe it, it's not a story that in any way is told to elicit sympathy. Rather, it is a story that makes people think and imagine how they might feel in in a situation where they're having to let go of something and it's difficult. And that is universal, isn't it? It is. And for the record, I worked hours and hours and hours with a coach to make that story that way. (laughs) (laughs) And you are a speaking coach yourself. I am. I am. Even the coach needs a coach. That's right. The the mentors need mentors. I have Uh, coached and been been coached myself. I I agree with you. I've been coaching uh, for 17 years. And, uh, you know, it started back in Toastmasters, where I was basically the one-eyed man in the land of the blind every now and again. (laughs) And uh, over the years, I've been able to 
work with more and more people and expand the type of people and type of situations I work with. And now I, I work with people on everything from sales presentations to keynote speeches, helping them really discover their message, develop it, and go through the fine-tuning of delivering it. And if necessary, we take it to the next step in how to market it so they can get out there into the real world. So if someone hearing this program thinks, that sounds like something that would be helpful to me, how would you like them to reach out to you? Well, they can email me at rich.hopkins at gmail.com, or they can contact me through my website, which is pretty easy too, richhopkins.com. Worked hard to just get my name on everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a marketing technique for you speakers. Get your name on everything. That's right. So just contact me uh, through the email or through my website. Very good. I'm sure that people will be interested in doing that. Likewise, you can contact me through davidodie.com, or if you'd like to specifically find out more about this program, go to this address, storyandscience.com. You can also reach me through there. This has been The Power of Story and Science, a biweekly program. My guest has been Rich Hopkins, an accomplished speaker who has just completed the virtual round-the-world tour of Toastmasters speaking. I appreciate you sitting down in one place long enough to be able to talk to me, Rich. I know your, your schedule has been pretty strange lately when you've been up in the middle of the night talking to people on the other side of the globe. So I hope this was a little bit easier for you than some of that. Hey, five o'clock our time. That's perfect. And it's not even a.m. No, that's right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.